Welcome back to the Scripps Talks podcast. This is the fifth episode in this new series featuring the alumni and students and faculty of the E.W. Scripps School of Journalism in this period of COVID-19. We're trying to get some idea of how our students and alumni and faculty are are adapting to uh, this situation. On the phone with me from Cambodia is Danielle Keaton Olson, uh, who has been in Cambodia for several years now. I'm going to let her give a little background on um, when she first arrived there and and then update us on the kind of coverage that she's able to do. So, Danielle, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. I'm happy to be here, My at least in the remote realm. My name is Danielle. I'm a journalist currently working freelance and for a local publication called VOD English in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. I've been in Cambodia for three years. I came here with the Wilhelm Fellowship arranged by the Scripps School back in 2017, and I worked for a publication called the Cambodia Daily, which was forced closed in 2017, at the end of 2017. I had been hired to work there, but I subsequently lost my job, and I've been working as a freelance journalist ever since. I've been following some of your your stories that you've been publishing. It's always interesting at a time like this when we're very inward-focused on our own, you know, how we're dealing with the crisis and the how we're making our own adaptations. But it always reminds me when I see your work that uh, th- this is a global situation and because we do have a lot of friends in Cambodia, you know, I, I think about them a lot. And I specifically, I see posts from some of our um, tour guides uh, who are tuk-tuk drivers and so forth. And obviously the their business is pretty much kaput at this point. So just give, give me a general sense of what life is like now in Phnom Penh for you and for the people that you're in contact with. We're not in a lockdown right now. We're, you know, taking it, you know, kind of like at that extreme measure at this point, but we're approaching that. And uh, we're actually, I'm right now I'm finishing up edits uh, with the team at VOD and a speech that Hun Sen made to uh, Prime Minister Hun Sen made today, um, saying that the country was considering declaring a state of emergency, but they're not sure yet. Right now, people are still able to go out and walk around, and there is a lot of panic. There is some concern, but things are proceeding as normal. The VOD office and many of my other colleagues and friends here who work in offices have gone remote. There have been closures to schools and the infamous karaoke bars as well as movie theaters and museums and an international film festival here. But life is still kind of proceeding as normal in many ways. Uh, The markets are still drawing crowds, but there's uh, now a lot of hand sanitizer in the, you know, kind of like among the vegetables and the meat, the fresh meat out there and everything. It looks like there's going to be some pretty bad impacts on the tourism industry factories, but it, it's probably with everywhere else in the world. It's really too soon to say what that's going to look like. Well, I know tourism is a very large uh, sector of the economy in Cambodia, and I've seen pictures, you know, from Angkor Wat where uh, it's virtually a ghost town, and uh, yeah. that's that's obviously not the normal 
situation at Angkor Wat. It's, it's kind of, it seems like a barometer uh, and effect on um, what Cambodia's economy is going to have to endure. Even from like early February, it was pretty clear that Siem Reap, the tourism capital and where Angkor, like the Angkor Archaeological Park, the UNESCO Heritage Site is located, was taking a lot of hits. Because at first it was heavy decrease in Chinese tour the New Year and the Lunar New Year Festival. And after that, you know, kind of like all other kinds of tourism started dropping off. Even before it hit a lot of the European and Western companies, some tour guides had been telling me in the reporting that we did that they were losing Western customers too. So some people had stopped making their travel plans. Now the people who did continue their travel plans are a public health threat here because at this point, most of the cases um, that they've tested have been related to either Cambodians returning from trips abroad or foreigners coming to visit Cambodia. That could very well be because they're testing or much wide-scale testing of people who haven't been doing international travel, similar to the U.S. from what I've read. Is there testing going on at this time in Cambodia? Yes, there is testing. I think it's pretty limited because the provincial hospitals are the only ones who can take the sample and send it for testing. And there is one place in the entire country that can do the actual testing, the Pasteur Institute. So I think that they're mostly following up uh, with, and I think that that's probably why, that they're mostly following up with people who have been traveling abroad or had been in contact with a known uh, COVID-19 case. That's probably my biggest worry. The virus is spreading a lot faster than anyone here can really realize, but it's in faster and unknown. Obviously, it's really hard to say. Part of our job at this point is trying to cut through some of the disinformation that's going on because that's pretty strong in this media market. Speaking of the disinformation campaign, you know, you mentioned the Cambodian Daily being shut down, and, and generally those who follow the situation in Cambodia are probably aware already, but maybe you could give a little, just a 60-second briefing on what is the state of journalism right now in Cambodia. I work for one of the few news outlets that produce in English that is editorially independent. This is called VOD English, and it's an offshoot of VOD known as Voice of Democracy, a radio station and Facebook Live like publishing channel that's been around for many, many years. A lot of the media outlets out there are kind that are independent are kind of like us, small, you know, kind of like trying to figure out what to do with the resources that we have and battling bigger global questions, just how to self-sustain. But in addition, we're fighting a lot of threats and, you know, kind of like negative publicity from the government itself. The Cambodian government has made many attempts and also made, you know, kind of like subtle attempts to stop the media from performing its task or silence or suppress journalists as well as oppositional voices. So the space has improved since 2017 when they shut down the Cambodia Daily and early 2018 when the purchase of the Phnom Penh Post had kind of 
put in a publisher who wanted to silence or who wanted to suppress and censor the reporters from saying what actually happens in this country. There are efforts going on to open up the media again, but it certainly isn't in a great place. Well, it seems like this would be a time when many people are really hungry for reliable information. And I I wonder if there's any discussion that you're aware of among, certainly among Cambodian intellectuals and the journalists that you know. Uh, Do they see this as an opportunity to put pressure on the government to open things up again because of this hunger and need for reliable information? I wish I could give you a better answer, but I that's just no. I think, um, I, I don't know of any efforts going on right now. Um, I We just reported on this, and I know that um, there, are, there are concerns that the government is using this as an opportunity to go after opposition voices, such as former members of the um, Cambodia's uh, opposition party, um, which was considered the main threat to the majority party here. Um, there, there's been a few hints that, um, so, sorry, they, um, there were a, a, a few people who had been arrested for fake news claims, um, and many of them had been members or activists of the opposition party. Um, so kind of the, that's pretty much the big concern that people are worried about right now, that. Um, an intense, or like a period of uh, clampdown in Cambodia would also mean a period of clampdown on opposition voices in the name of fake news, um, of stopping fake news. In terms of your work as a freelancer, I assume most of the work you do is for um, Western media outlets, and and I'm wondering if there is an increase in interest and demand for the kind of coverage you could provide from Cambodia. I've gotten a few questions from, uh, a a few asks from like South China Morning Post or some of the regional publications, um, uh, one called New Narrative, to take up some of my stories, my dispatches from Cambodia. Um, but I, to be honest, I've been focusing on coverage with VOD uh, this week, uh, uh, the last two weeks, actually, uh, the local publication, because I felt that that was the need to it. And um, it, it's, it's a bit harder to do things fully remote in the way that we are. To be honest, I've had some trouble pitching to American news outlets in particular, um, because the focus has very heavily been on the U. So I haven't really reached out with any of my story ideas at this point, but I, I fear I would run up against that same barrier. What about the international community in Phnom Penh? Have you sensed that there is a, a big effort to leave Cambodia, or are there travel restrictions that make it difficult to leave? If I were to leave right now, I would not be able to return until at least April 17th. Cambodian government enforced a ban on travelers from six countries, including the U.S., Italy, and a few others. The problem is is that it's unclear whether it's passport holders or people who had recently been to those countries. And it's been kind of enforced ad hoc from what I understand, but I don't know many people who have attempted 
uh, to make it back. So a lot of people are considering or leaving at this point. I have not made that decision. I think that I would be putting myself at more risk to fly through three airports to get back to Chicago, where they're facing huge lines for customs anyway. There are efforts. I've been seeing some different groups of people who are trying to get home. For a while, the French uh, embassy was saying that they would repatriate um, some area, groups of individuals if they could get enough people to uh, get a plane, you know, to fill a plane back or something along those lines. And I think that they, the rumors at least, is that they're uh, preparing to start sending people back. This is when all those informal networks become so important. Obviously, social media is playing quite a large, you know, role in uh, which would not have been the case in earlier pandemics. And I, I know social media is really important in Cambodia for the sharing of news and, and so forth. Are you aware of any any particular social media rumors or issues that journalists are trying to address through their reporting? One of them that I tried to tackle personally, I just wrote a story about this, was this fear of Cambodian Muslims who are mostly of the ethnic minority called Cham. There had been a group of Cambodian Muslims who had gone to the fest, uh, the religious gathering in Malaysia where hundreds of cases have been connected. And a few of them returned, and I think there was a... Nearly 30 people at this point who uh, from that cluster, either uh, people who had gone to the festival or were living and spending time in close contact with them, they had tested positive for COVID-19. So there was a lot of rumors about Cambodian Muslims circulating on social media, both of people spreading, you know, clearly false information or people who were Cambodian Muslim or Cham and making appeals to just stop discriminating, to, that there's nothing wrong or dirty about my business, um, things along those lines. There's also been a lot of rumors, disinformation about the possibility of cities or provincial areas locking down. Most of the time I'm just trying to combat or fight that or just, you know, both among my peers and then people who I talk to on Twitter or on uh, other kinds of social or Facebook or other kinds of social media, what has actually been instituted that we don't actually know that a lockdown might be considered right now, but we don't actually know when it's going to happen and dispelling as much of the myths as we can. So you mentioned your, your peers and I'm wondering, you know, Maybe you could say a, a little bit about who your peers are there as a as an American young person, you know, journalist. Who do you who is a peer for you, and also how are you guys managing from a social distancing, you know, standpoint? How are you managing to maintain contact? I have a few friends from the Cambodia Daily Legacy, like people that you know, kind of like both Cambodians and foreigners who I uh, consistently maintain. Uh, closer relationships with and, I, and they're not just former co-workers a few of them are very close friends and then we have a few folks who are working in different NGOs as foreigners um, who I hang out with and I see regularly most of my friends have been here for at least a year often more than that so um, there, there's a tendency in Phnom Penh at least among the expat community that um, 
some people stay, you know, between six months and a year and a half. Sometimes you try to avoid that crowd to make sure that you have friends in a few months. So in terms of uh, hanging out or, you know, kind of like keeping in contact, I, uh, we occasionally will move to, like, visit one of our houses and, you know, kind of like spend, spend the night hanging out, drinking, talking, um, things along those lines. I'm also trying to talk with one of my friends uh, who went back to Kempot. Uh, a small provincial town about three, three and a half hours drive from Phnom Penh um, through, uh, through like finally learning the Khmer written language, which is so I, she's sending me worksheets that she, you know, has found uh, through her time as a teacher. And then I'm trying to work on some of the, or work on writing them or, and, you know, kind of like, sounding them out phonetically. And that's a good use of your time, obviously. I'm attempting to use it well. You know, Cambodia has uh, a history of horrible, genocidal uh, killing, and that legacy is still something that, you know, we sometimes think about. And when we think about Cambodia, the killing fields, Mm -hmm. some time ago, and a while ago you mentioned, you know, the date of April 17th, and that's that's an important date in history from 1975. And, and I just wonder if there's any anything about Cambodia in particular with its history that, that makes it either more capable of dealing with a, a, a kind of a traumatic situation or more fragile because of that history. One of the grim thoughts that I had recently is grim and positive was that Cambodia has a very young population. It's still uncertain what exactly is the commonalities among, uh, you know, kind of like people who have died of COVID-19, but a lot of that population is older at this point. From the physical numbers standpoint, if that does hold out and that does continue to be true, then hopefully that might prevent some deaths from actually happening in Cambodia or at least minimize the amount, the toll that it takes. I think that there is like a lot of underlying tension and an ability to deal with trauma. There hasn't been enough efforts to address the massive tragedy that both uh, people who survived and people who are, you know, kind of like second generation to the Khmer Rouge era and you know, kind of like hear these stories, know this history, but have this like very separate and tangible relation to it. And I think that that kind of, you know, kind of like mental health issues added up with the panic that we're all feeling from not knowing what's happening in a pandemic. You know, this, um, in addition to just being uh, very painful for people, it's scary too. You don't know what it will drive people to do. It's a weird, weird time. I guess I was wondering too if you know if anyone is uh, sitting around comparing traumas, or you know, I mean, obviously the the number of deaths in Cambodia from COVID nineteen is is nothing compared to what happened in the Khmer Rouge time. But I have to believe there's also a little bit of a deja vu when it comes to having no control or very little control. I would just imagine that, uh, you know, kind of like any trauma can kind of like, or just fear or mandates from the government could probably uh, set off something and 
different people. You also kind of wonder um, if people do lose their jobs um, in, you know, kind of like as a result of factories or different, you know, perhaps hotels or something along those lines. There are very, very minimal social supports. I think this has less to do with kind of like the older trauma of the Khmer Rouge, but with with the fact that this country has not developed in anywhere near an equal way. You know, the, the gap between the rich and the poor is so, so high. One of my concerns, um, aside from just the health system in general here, is if like this economic turmoil like continues to spiral out, like whether what people's responses are going to be and, you know, kind of like how the government will react as a result. Because um, in the period following the Khmer regime, there was just so much civil war and tension and protests throughout the 90s. It's great to have you there covering this story. We know that journalism plays a really important role in helping society reflect upon what's going on and know about what's going on. Does it feel somehow like this is where you're supposed to be at this moment in your life, reporting on this story in this corner of the world? I did not expect at this point in my life or at any point in my life, truly, that I would be in Cambodia and reporting. I pretty much expected to work out of the U.S. my entire life. But, you know, I'm always very grateful for being out here. Perhaps it is a calling in that, I want to do the best that I can for this country that I, or for more than the country, but the people that I've met and been impacted by. If it is my calling to to just serve in the ways that I can as a journalist, then I think that yes. Danielle Keaton Olson, thank you for joining us today <laughs> from uh, Phnom Penh, and uh, wish you health and. Uh, safety and all of the reporting that you're doing and we look forward to reading more of your your work on VOD English. Thank you so much Dr. Stewart.